Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. Now, one of the things that we like to do on our show is to help you guys all become historians. It's not just us talking about unexpected subjects. We also want to give you guys the tools to do it yourself, to start thinking like historians. And today, we're going to be talking about how to choose a historical subject. Yes, this is episode five of How to Be a Historian, our little mini-series that comes under the umbrella of histories of the unexpected and we are aiming this at simply everyone we are aiming it at people who are just interested in history and want to be a bit more knowledgeable about something how do you go about picking a topic and then researching it but we're also gearing it to people at at school and and university so lots of six formers involved in doing their independent or open study wondering about how on earth do you pick a topic that you've got to write about, and third-year historians at university uh, who have to write a 12,000-word dissertation on a particular topic. How do you go about it? Yeah, because I I think one of the things we do with History is the Unexpected is explain that everything has a history, which actually makes history even more bewildering than it already is. So it's not just about every period you can imagine and every country you can imagine. It's actually about every subject you can imagine as well. So I think we feel a little responsible by having exploded this idea of history to help you guys focus. So I think what we're going to do is give some sort of useful little tips, but also some anecdotes about how we work. And I think one of the things that might be really interesting to connect the two up is when we pick a topic for unexpected, how do we pick those topics and how do we then go out about researching them. So once we decided we're going to do the lean or the dust or shadows, um, how do we actually go about researching it? Well, um, I'm lucky because I've got a couple of great libraries nearby and there are sort of entire sections of libraries which you become particularly familiar with. Um, There's there's a section here on the cultural history of animals, which I've become increasingly familiar with Mm. because we've done cats We've thought about doing sharks and yep. we've done lions as yep. well. Yep. And I am a great fan of browsing. Yes. Now, um, browsing online is okay. You need to be very careful with you browsing do. online. You can use Google Books and you can use Google Scholar. We both have access to enormous online databases of academic articles. Through universities. Yeah, which you can browse through for a subject and keywords, yep. can't you? So if you want to browse... Cats, you know, to, if you don't just browse cats, you can browse cultural history of cats, yeah. or you yeah. can browse, you go, 
oh, I bet cats were interesting in France in the 1700s. So you can, yep. you know, you can browse, the keywords would be cats and Renaissance yep. or cultural history or, yep. or whatever. But physical browsing on shelves in a really good it's library really, yes. is fantastic. The first thing I do is sit down with a cup of coffee and a increasingly... Blank my, piece of paper. A blank piece of paper, but increasingly my phone. Okay. Um, and I use the note function and I sit down and I try to do a, a taxonomy of a topic. What so it's basically that? how you, you put together a sort of systematic outline of every aspect of a topic. Yeah. So if, for example, you're doing the history of books, the chronology of books, the uses of books, the printing of books, the buying of books, the, you know, all those kinds of things. Ownership and, display. And I, ownership display. Destruction. And I whatever. try and do that with every single topic yep. that we do and run off in particular So that gives you a foundation. Directions. It gives me a foundation. And then I will go to online bibliographies. The Royal Historical Society annual bibliography is great. So I will look up keywords there. I will also dredge back through my knowledge that I have. You know, I've spent you know, most of my life being a historian. Yeah, that and doesn't really help people who are, who are trying no, to get into the No, 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 no. no. But people are aware of... of you know, the world out there. Actually, it does help people because yeah. um, the one thing that you need as a historian, I think people have a real sense of historians working on their own all the time, yeah. but that's nonsense. The one thing you need as a historian is a circle of knowledgeable and interested people. They don't all have yeah. to be professional historians. You can find them in local history clubs. You can find them in libraries often. Often people who work in libraries are very, very knowledgeable. Also museums. You can get access to people with knowledge who are willing to spend time and share that time with you, particularly online, whether it's... I hear there are also some very good documentaries on television. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and some, also some incredibly good um, history books uh, written by various people. So, so the first thing to do is once you've decided on your topic, we're going to get back to how you decide okay. the topic, you get a foundation, you get a blank piece of paper, and you say, right, I'm going to write down everything I can think of off the top of my head about tanks or um, bow ties. I would like to know these things, or I think this thing is interesting. Why do people take yeah. bow ties? I've literally yeah. just thought of this. Why do people wear bow ties? When did they wear bow ties? Where did bow ties originate from? What were bow ties made out of? Why did some people wear bow ties and not others? When did that change? How did that change? Yeah. Were reactions to bow ties? Who collected bow ties? Yeah. Who designed bow ties? Yeah. And then to sit down, cup of coffee, and think. It's a very creative discipline, history, yes. and that's yes. how you start. You yes. think, you think, you think, you think, yeah. and ask yourself, this is the beauty of it, you don't need the answers. All you need is an inquiring mind. What would I like to know about this thing? Yeah. And that is a, do a mind map explosion on a exactly. piece of paper. And I think if we're taking it back a stage earlier than that, you're interested in history generally, but you're trying to come up with a topic you know, you need to be interested in something. And I think that kind of inquiring mind aspect that you're talking about is really useful. You know, it can be something that's local or national or international. It can be something that's connected to your family. It can be something that's a hobby. If, for example, your hobby is collecting bow ties, but you need something that inspires you. Yeah. And this comes back to this problem of teaching history that I mentioned before. We were talking yep. about schools and yes. I, I think that the fact you can't really choose yeah. in terms of the curriculum is is a massive problem for history yeah you know actually having it kind of rammed down your throat when you're not interested in the subjects is awful yep. so yep. um by doing it the way we're suggesting guarantees that you're going to have um you'll spend a nice few hours but it can also it. it can also be very i mean i've talked to a lot of teachers and i've talked to a lot of students um and it can be very daunting for a level students suddenly being forced to 
pick a topic that they've then got to write an extended essay on or undergraduate students who, you know, particularly in their third year and they're feeling very pressured and they hear about things about it needs to be original research, mm. you know, whatever that means. I think they can be really put off by coming up with ideas. And I think the thing is, what you need is a topic that you are interested in. You don't want to rehash stuff that you've already done. You know, you don't necessarily want to pick a topic that, you know, like Anne Boleyn, that everyone does. Yeah. You can take traditional topics that people have done, but you can read them in in different ways. You can put a different slant on them. Yeah. You can look at new sources. I think the other thing is, when you're coming up with a topic, it's fine saying you know, something like you want to do bow ties. But there are two things that you need. A, you need secondary literature. So there need to be books and articles. There needs to be information that other people have written about it. Yep. And you need to be able to understand all that material. You need to be able to do something different from that material. So you need to argue against it or agree with it or take a different approach. The second thing is... The guidance here really helps, isn't it? Yes, isn't it? guidance here. Yeah, talk to your teachers, talk to your supervisors. The other thing is you need there to be primary sources. So you need there to actually be documents or things that survive from the past that talk about that particular topic. Yeah. So if you're talking about bow ties, back to that example, you either need there to be examples of bow ties, like in the Victorian Albert Museum, which I'm sure has a wonderful, or the Museum of London, both of which have amazing textile and fashion collections, or you need people to have written about bow ties. So you need the diary of a bow tie maker. Or something like that. Or you need the design behind making a bow tie or the co accounts about the cost of making a bow tie. Or you need to look at it from the perspective of a shopkeeper who sells bow ties. Right, so let's take this bow tie yeah. example. We've, we've already we've said the beginning of a mind map of what we might like yeah. to know. So the next thing we would now do is I would go online, I would find out if the Victorian Albert Museum has a collection of, has a collection of bow ties yeah. or the Museum of London, if they didn't i'd get in touch with the curator and say all right who yeah. does yeah then i would find out where the collection is and i would talk to people who curate that collection i would also type yeah. in the history of bow ties into yeah. google i would type in history of bow ties into probably an academic database if you can't afford to get access to it yourself go to your local library because they probably they do prob Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We will have it.
So what what we're doing there, having decided on your topic, you then find the primary materials, and and it may not be bow ties. It may be that what you need is you're studying, I don't know, Henry VIII, and what you need there is a sort of series of um, of primary sources and also secondary books written about it. Those are your raw materials yeah. for doing your project. Now the next thing. If you do what Sam said and you go and you find like, you know, thousands of bow ties and loads of things written about fashion and, and through all sorts of periods, um, it may be that you are overwhelmed by that. So any topic that you do needs to be manageable. You need to think about it in ways that are actually going to be achievable. So, for example, if you were interested in Henry VIII, you couldn't do something simply on the entirety of Henry VIII. Letters and papers of Henry VIII run to multiple, multiple, multiple volumes. You're looking at something like, I don't know, seven metres of books of primary sources on Henry VIII. You simply, uh, that would take a lifetime to do that. You know, David Starkey, one of the sort of great Henry VIII scholars, has spent an entire lifetime, you know, working through that material. So what you need to do is you need to divide it up into digestible chunks. And it may be that what you want to do is Henry VIII and a particular wife, or Henry VIII and his relationship with Edward VI, or Henry VIII and the Navy, or but find a particular the aspect. Scots or the French, you do, or the Scots castles. Or the Fra- exactly, or, yeah. exactly. I mean, you did something on his armour recently, didn't you? Yeah. For for master, history masterclass, yeah, and even that you can break that down to uh, his armor for his horses, or or yeah. his foot armor, or his riding armor, or his armor that was made in Greenwich, or the armor that was gifted to him, yeah. or, or or whatever you know you can. Yeah, so having divided it up into those sort of bite sized chunks that is manageable, you then need to read through your secondary material. You need to work out what people have said about it. Um, you then need to go to your primary sources, your documents, whatever. You need to make sure that not only that they exist, but that you are able to get access to them. And then when you actually access them, that you have the skills to be able to read them. Yeah. We'll do something on primary sources in, in future weeks. But basically, what you don't want to do is turn up at the National Archives and say, right, I want to read, you know, such and such about Henry VIII and find out, A, it's been written in Latin, <laughs> or B, it's in a hand that you simply can't read. Yeah, a language you, you can't a, read, a, hand a, 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 hand type in a particular yeah. type of handwriting that you can't read. Yeah. Then if you're interested in that, you either go back to printed sources, so historians who have basically edited collections of documents, and you can use those. there are amounts of that. And, and also it's like working with translated documents. That's, exactly. That's fine. Yes. There's loads yes. of translated stuff. There's loads yes. of printed stuff. Um, if, you, if you can't speak Dutch in the 17th century and you can't read the handwriting, don't beat yourself up about it. There is all sorts of... Yeah. Uh, there are ways, ways around, around it. it. And in later weeks, we will talk to you in great detail about how to access these kinds of printed collections. There are brilliant, brilliant guides out there that will basically just you know, send you to the right place. So I think part of that is if you are really, really interested or if you are a student who, who wants to go on and do further study, like an MA or a PhD you know, then you need to start thinking about gaining those language skills and gaining those sort of paleography skills. So how to read something. Paleography is the study of ancient handwriting. Let's just quickly say what primary and secondary sources are as well, because we've rather seen people know what the difference is. So secondary sources are basically the books and articles that have been produced by historians on historical topics. The difference between primary sources is primary sources are the raw materials that historians read 
along with other secondary sources, books and articles, that go into the writing of history. Right, so, so yeah, here we are. Here's an example. This is my book, The Fighting Temeraire, which is about the ship in Turner's famous painting. And this book itself is a secondary source because it was yes. written by me. I am a historian yes. and I've used other historical work. Some of the things it was based on is um, that. There's a there's a nice little scribble. Oh, look at that. What's that? It says Maud in Torbay. That's a scan of one of the logbooks of HMS Temeraire, which exists right. at the National Archives. So the logbooks of the Temeraire are the primary source material. Yep. The letters from the captains are the primary source material. Yep. The letters of the wives to the officers, officers to the wives, officers to the Navy, the sailors to the Navy, blah, 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 blah. Documentary sources that are produced at the time that you are writing about. Yes, and uh, also not just documents. No, 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 not just documents, but also artefacts and clothing and objects and paintings and yeah. film and documentaries, all sorts of of evidence like so that's that. A, that's the, the primary difference. And I, I get a, a sense that when people say they want to do history, what they mean is they want to get their hands on some primary sources yep. and to start getting access to it and thinking about it themselves. Yep. But think, the, before you do that, you do need to read some secondary sources yes. to get an, a sense yes. of the context of what's going on and, yep. and just, you know, what's happening. Yep. So if you're interested in HMS Temeraire or HMS Victory, the easiest thing to do is... Uh, Read your book and look at the sources. <laughs> look at the sources, but that's a great example. You don't you don't necessarily need to do a project. I know we're giving some examples of people doing a historical yes. project, but for the majority of the public who, who don't have to do a project, yeah. not interested, you can say, right, I'm just interested in HMS Temeraire or Turner, yeah, and then go to the National Archives, yes, or the British Museum yeah. and see Turner's original sketchbooks from yeah. the period. Yeah. Or you can go and read the logbooks. Yes. And, you know, and that, that's great. That's you doing history. Doing history in your local area as well. Yeah. You know, researching your local parish or your local town. Local doing, record offices. Local record brilliant. offices are brilliant. And they're so opening and friendly. Open. They will be yeah. so happy to see you as well. And they are wonderful, wonderful people who will bend over backwards to help you with whatever you want to do. Um, or doing your family history as well. Yeah. A lot of people are very, very interested in in genealogy and getting to know how to work around those and use those genealogical Records, And I think in future weeks, we should also do something on genealogy. Yeah, but there are also professional genealogists yes. out there. So if you're interested you. in family history, so this is interesting to me, I'm not interested in genealogy. I'm interested in my family tree. Yes. I'm not interested in the kind of detective business of finding out about my family tree. So if I did that, I would pay someone to knock up a family tree for me. Yeah. Um, in fact, you'd probably find people who volunteered to help you out. Yeah, um, and and then once you've got your family tree going back a few generations, you can say, "All right, I'm interested in Uncle Beryl who lived in Cardiff in 1864." Yeah, and then you can go right. I've got a starting point. I know her name. I know where she was. I am now going to go to the Cardiff Records Office and find out about yeah. what was going on in Newport yeah. in 1864. Yeah. How do you just going in a in a slightly different direction? How do you come up with ideas for your books? How do you decide what to write? Um, is that a difficult process? Is it driven no, no, by no, but it's publishers? Not, it, it or... is, there is not a single answer to that. I don't even know how many I've written out. Ten? Yeah. It's more than nine, maybe twelve. Every one is different. So some I've been approached by publishers saying, would you like to write a book on this? And I'll say, yeah, that's great. Okay, of course. Um, 
others, I've said, right, there's a big gap in history here and I want to yep. fill it, yep. and which is what I did for my book on the naval history of the American Revolution, because um, that's called The Struggle for CPAP. But no one had written a comprehensive naval history of the American Revolution, but the reason that we lost America in the 1780s was because of our Navy. Yep. It was a pretty obvious uh, obvious thing to do. Otherwise, I mean, The Fighting Ten Red, that was my first, first real kind of book for a mass market. And um, I wrote that because there was a vote on Radio 4. I was just driving to pick up the kids or something. I don't know what I was doing. Hmm. And there was a vote on Radio 4 for the nation's favourite painting, and it was won by Turner's painting The Fighting Temeraire. And I was also thinking about the cover. Right. It's quite easy to then say to a publisher, my idea is you put the most famous painting in British history on the cover of a book, yeah. and they're right about it. So that just came to me in the, um, in the car. But then, you see, that was the biography of a ship, yes. right? And I suddenly thought, oh, well, we can turn that into a trilogy. I can do the biography of a man, yeah. and I can do the biography of a battle. And put them all together, which is what I did. And it became the Hearts of Oak trilogy. And the man was Admiral Benbow. There's a pub called the Admiral Benbow in Treasure Island, which I read when I was a child, as so many of you did. And it's where Jim Hawkins meets Black Dog and Blind Pew and Long John Silver and all sorts. Um, and it's a kind of name that reeked of maritime history. But no one yeah. no one had written a decent biography of Admiral Benbow. He was a fascinating yeah. bloke, a yeah. nutter. Uh, and then I wanted to do a battle. And so I there was that was quite obvious to me because I did my PhD in 18th century naval history on naval warfare particularly, and I knew that a battle called the Glorious First of June fought at the height of the Reign of Terror in the first kind of blossoming of the French Revolution was known at the time as the hardest fought battle of the Age of Sail, more so than Trafalgar, more so than the Battle of the Nile, uh, but it had been forgotten. Hmm. When I think about topics to do, I think I work in a slightly different way. Uh, and that's partly because it, as an academic historian, you need to, you know, rather like your book on the um, American Revolution, you're trying to fit into a sort of historical landscape that's already there. So in terms of what other historians have done. But one of the things that I'm really inspired by is just archival research and just casting around. I liked you what you said earlier on about browsing, you know, browsing through the bookshelves. And I like doing that with historical documents. And there's a really famous historian called G.R. Elton, Jeffrey Elton, who's a, one, of the, one of the grandfathers of Tudor history. He's one of the sort of great men. He's actually Ben Elton's uncle. Hmm. And those of you who know Ben Elton from Blackadder, um, Ben Elton has a very famous historical, uh, famous in historical terms, uncle. Um, and he wrote a sort of, not only wrote Tudor history, but, you know, European history and also a lot of books on how to study history, how to write history. And one of the things that he recommends is this, is what he describes as his thesis-free empirical approach. You don't go out seeking to write something with an idea set in your mind about what your main argument is going to be. Yeah. What you do instead is you go to the archives and you have a look through them, you read them, you immerse yourself in them, and from that process comes a, an idea for an article for a book. And I've, I'm working on a book at the moment on called The Family and Materials of Memory. And this is looking at the period 1500 to 1800, and it's looking at how family history has been recorded over that period. And I came up with this idea because one summer I spent months just sitting in the reading rooms, in the manuscript room at the British Library and the Bodleian Library in Oxford, their new wonderful manuscript room, just calling up everything, 
you know, just random stuff, whether I was interested in it or not, but anything that seemed to be connected with that. And I was pulling up family Bibles and account books and, you know, little treatises and memorials and poetry and all sorts of things and, and even memory boxes. Yeah. And from that process, and scraps of hair, from that process came this idea for a, a book. Yeah. I mean, some things are helpful, some things are inspirational, some things are completely useless, aren't they? Yes. I think we should leave it there. I think um, we should. I think that's a good opening gambit for how to choose a historical topic. We'll yes. definitely come back to it. Um, and do please get in touch with us and let us know how you're getting on. And if you need any help, we're here to help. And also, before we go, one of the important things is have fun. Yes. You know, this is something you choose to do. You're going to spend a lot of time doing it. It will be something that is a passion for you. So make sure you enjoy it. I would like to make everyone do it, though. <laughs> I would like to make everyone have fun doing okay. it. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's really important. It really helps. Subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow us at Unexpected Pod. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other fantastic shows that you should check out. If you want to find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss, and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Go and have a look at it. Thank you. Bye. And have fun. Bye. <laughs> If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook and Twitter. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. At the History MC.